Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Get Real with Mama Moines. I'm your host, Emily Moines. I am going to be going solo today. I have a very personal, private story to share that I don't really talk about a lot publicly. And um, no reason for it, really. It's just that it's not my story to tell. Um, and so I don't really talk about it very much. And if I am going to be completely honest with you, I have attempted to record this podcast now four times. This is my fourth attempt. And I get to a certain point, certain part of the story where I literally just have a meltdown, like a full on meltdown. You know, those sobs where you're like, you can't catch your breath because you're crying so hard. That was me three times. So I'm going to try one more time and I'm going to get through it. I have had a little margarita <laughs> to help me get through this. And this is going to be a podcast that if you've never listened to one of my podcasts, this I think would be the one to listen to. I think it can bring you so much hope, honestly. And if you know someone, if you know someone, a, a parent who is struggling with a child, if they are you know, have mental illness, if they are, you know, physically, you know, ill, if there's emotional, um, you know, uh, challenges and struggles or whatever it may be, just a parent struggling with the child, please share this story with them because I think it could really be so beneficial. And for me personally, I wasted years, I am talking years of non-stop worrying, sleepless nights, endless crying, fights with my husband, the father of our child. And if I can just get one thing through to those parents, now my child is 30 years old. Life has a way of working itself out. And I remember a pediatrician saying that to me, I think he may have been like maybe three or four around there. And again, we were in another doctor's office for another visit for more tests. And the, this pediatrician saying, I know it's hard. I know you're going through a really difficult time and I know it's scary, but trust me, I've been doing this job for many, many, many years. And these things somehow, some way work themselves out. And even if it's just a change in your mindset, it will get easier. So now let me just backtrack and start from the very beginning. I was married at the age of 23. I had my first child by the time I was 24. And then I had my second child by the time I was 25. Life was glorious. Life was good. I had the perfect husband madly in love with him. I had a beautiful home. I had dream job and I had the perfect child already. I mean, perfection. Life couldn't get any better. Those were definitely the happiest days of my life. 
uh, when all of, when I was married to my first husband and all my children were, I have three children now, but I'd say from like the years of getting married until they're like six or seven, until I got my first divorce, um, life was great. Happiest days of my life. So when I was pregnant with my second child, I went in for a routine ultrasound, as you do um, often, um, you know, to, uh, to check up on things. Oh my gosh, I'm taking a brief little break. Hang on one second. This, hang on. This is very unprofessional. Sorry, oh my God, that is so unprofessional. <laughs> I don't know, that, that was a cat, my cat. Anyway, I don't want to get, I'm digressing. Okay, go into an ultrasound, Root, just a routine ultrasound. I was five months pregnant. And the ultrasound was, you know, going along well. I am laying on the table, chit-chatting with the radiologist. She's pointing out, oh, look at, there's his toes and blah, blah, blah. We're chit-chatting and everything is great. And we're all smiles. And all of a sudden, the mood in the room completely changed. She became very quiet. She wasn't engaging with me. The expression on her face changed. And it was very obvious to me, something is not right. Then she proceeds to excuse herself and she goes out of the room and enters with, this a man who I presume is another radiologist. They're sort of whispering among themselves. I could hear them. It was things like, you know, you know, like turn, get it, see if you can get a better angle. Um, you know, turn, put the put the camera or the lens here. Um, they were just talking about amongst themselves. They were pointing to the screen, and then I interjected and asked if everything was okay. They basically said, you know, we're just, um, we're just, we, you know, it could be the machine. It could be the way the baby is laying. We're just having a hard time seeing, um, seeing, I think they, I think they actually said at the time that they're having a hard time seeing um, the kidney properly, at, at one of his kidneys properly. I didn't really think anything of it. Okay. And then out they go and they bring in someone else. And at that time I thought, okay, this is not, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel right. They basically said that I, we would have, somebody would be contacting me. My family doctor would be contacting me with the results um, of the ultrasound. So we got the call and basically the results were that they had, um, they had found some sort of a mass. I think they also referred to it. It was either a mass or some sort of a lesion that was growing or had attached itself to the left kidney and that in fact that kidney was twice the size of the right kidney and that really they couldn't do anything further or they probably wouldn't know anything further until the baby was born and then they could do further investigation on on whatever that was but in the meantime they were going to you know do um, follow-up appointments more frequently to see if there's any changes so there were changes. The kidneys seemed to be getting bigger as, as the baby was growing, um, uh, and it was always bigger than, than the right kidney. So when it came to the day that I gave birth, and it was a planned cesarean section, I had anticipated that I was prepared for, um, you know, that there was issues with his kidney, and I knew that, and 
that was, you know, it was going to be what it was going to be. What I was not prepared for is what unfolded in the next 24 hours. You guys, I was 25 years old. I am being bombarded from doctors with words I never heard of before, but will never leave my brain ever. They are embedded, embedded in my head for a lifetime. Mrs. Moynes, uh, your baby will probably never be able to play sports. Uh, if he walks, he'll probably be walking with a calf extension. He'll need calf extensions or he'll have a, a limp. Um, we believe that he may have hemihypertrophy, hemihyperplasia. There's a, there's a hyperostosis on the left mastoid. There's a mosaic pattern on the bottom of the soles of his left foot indicating possible Proteus syndrome. Um, there is a, um, a mass, a lipoma on his back. Uh, basically, basically in a nutshell without knowing what the hell they were talking about and my head was spinning was that hemi meaning half. Was that half, it seemed that half of his, the left side of his body, half, um, had sort of developed quicker. And so it was um, a bit of a, an overgrowth of the left side of his body. And I remember when he was born, as they lifted him up and whisked him off very quickly because they said that he was jaundiced and they needed to do some testing and, and put him under the lights. I do remember right away, Instantly, as they lifted him up, me zeroing in, and I can see it clear as day, on his foot, which I know now is his left foot, um, it was just didn't look right. And that foot had two toes that were webbed together, and it was um, a larger, giganticism of the left foot. So the reason why I have been breaking down every time I try to record this podcast is because I'm so ashamed, so ashamed of how, not the news that I got, but my reaction to the news. As I feel it coming up again. My reaction. So stupid. I just thought that, okay. If I don't love him, if I don't hold him, if I don't see him, if I don't touch him, if I don't anything, then if something happens to him, then it's not going to hurt as much. And so for two days, I love that baby. <laughs> I didn't hold him for two fucking days. Damn it. Oh, that's so hard on me still. I left him in the nursery for two days. Back in the day when you had a cesarean, you're in the hospital for a week, for seven days. And for the first two days, I did not want to see him. And I don't think he even knows this. I had uh, stopped 
um, phone calls and visitors, I was totally wallowing in my self-pity. How could this happen to me? <laughs> it took a phone call from a very special friend, longtime friend. I don't know how the hell she got through. It took her calling me to snap me the fuck out of it. So generally, I was hearing people saying things like, oh, that's too bad and so unfortunate and, you know, um, oh, so sad to hear about, you know, we, I already named him, I knew his name was going to be Cody, uh, about Cody's problems, um, his issues, and oh, you know, everything was like, poor you, poor this, poor that. Well, she called me and she let me have it. She literally was so incensed. I, I could hear, I could hear, I could feel her anger through the phone. And she said to me, who the fuck have you become? Who are you? What are you doing? And I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she's like, you haven't held your baby for two fucking days. The hell is wrong with you? And I'm like, you don't know. You don't know. And, and she's like, I do fucking know. I do know. I know exactly what's happening. I know I've talked to a doctor. I don't know how, I don't know how the hell she did this. It's probably the pediatrician who I told to hold all my calls and visitors. Um, and she said to me, she said to me, who do you think you are? Like, who do you think you are? You think that you're, you're something special, that, that you can just go through life unscathed? You think that everybody else has to suffer and struggle and have shit thrown their way and you just can carry on through life, having a perfect little life with the perfect husband and the perfect house and the perfect child and the perfect job and everything so fucking perfect? That's not the way life works. And I am ashamed to call you my friend because I thought you, Emily, you would never be a person to just lay down and fucking die. And that's exactly what you've done. You need to get up, get that baby and take care of business. You need to be his biggest advocate. You need to ask questions and you need to be there for him. If he doesn't have you, then who the hell is he going to have? Stop wallowing in yourself. Pity. You are not a victim here. This is life. And at the moment, I hated her. How dare she? She didn't know what I was going through. And I laugh now because it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. That's exactly what I needed. I didn't need a pity party. And that's what I was getting from a lot of people. She called me on my shit and I did need it. And I, and I thought she was so insensitive and so mean. And just, I was like, what a biatch. It's exactly what I needed. That night I went to the nursery. I brought my baby into my bed. And from that day forward, I have been his biggest supporter, his biggest cheerleader, his biggest advocate, his biggest fan. We went through hell and back with him in terms of uh, medical, just one 
Oh my God. I refer to him as my child who's had more surgeries than birthdays and he's 30 years old. And there were endless, countless doctor's appointments, visits, poking, prodding, surgeries, blood work, geneticists, nephrologists. What the fuck is a nephrologist? Nephrologist? Uh, you guys, orthopedic surgeons, ugh, you name it. We've seen them. We've been there. We've had surgery. <laughs> so many. I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. I could not count right now how many surgeries that kid has had. When he was nine years old, from the time from nine to 12, we went to Bethesda, Maryland, to the National Institute of Health. Because they did suspect Proteus syndrome, which by the way, I know a lot of you don't know what Proteus syndrome is. And if I, I know that I just have to say one name and you'll all know exactly what it is. They thought he had Proteus syndrome and they were trying to uh, rule it in or rule it out. So there was countless numerous tests being conducted from nine to 12. They finally ruled out Proteus syndrome at 12 years old. But from nine to 12, we had to live with the fact that he potentially could be another John Merrick. If you don't know who John Merrick is, he was the elephant man who eventually died uh, in his sleep. He used to have to sleep sitting up um, when his head fell to the side and it broke his neck because he had an overgrowth syndrome. I think for him, it was a bone, bone overgrowth. And I believe he broke his neck because his head was so big, it fell to the side and broke his neck. He does not have Proteus syndrome, but we didn't know that until he was 12 years old. We went through psychologists, geneticists, like I said, nephrologists. We had so many doctors. I had a psychologist say to me when he was 12, they have never met a young man who was so evolved as him that when they asked him if he was at all concerned or if he thought if he when he grew up and he wanted to have his own family would he be afraid that his children could have whatever this was because there was still no name for it all we knew was that there was a potential uh, genetic mutation a gene mutation that had caused all these ailments and his response to that was, no, if they had me as their dad, who's already had this and they have it too, then I could help them because I already had it because I, I know what, because I know what's coming and I know what to do and I know how it feels and I could help them with it. And I just thought, what a profound thing to say coming from a 12 year old. And the reason for the podcast is this, you guys, despite the numerous, numerous, countless hospitalizations, doctor's visits, tests at 15, we were told that we were going to need to either shorten one leg or lengthen the other leg, which to me was so extreme. And that's when I went into high gear and literally went to, I think, four or five different doctors, ended up back at Bethesda, Maryland with um, Dr. Leslie Biesecker. I'll never forget that name. And he was the one that said to me, absolutely not. No 
way. You do not shorten a leg. You do not lengthen the leg. He is 15 years old. His growth plates haven't even um, finished. He hasn't finished growing. I don't know who's telling you this, but you do not do that. That is so invasive and so intrusive. And thank fucking God, I had the wherewithal to go, mm, no, my gut was saying, no way, no way, I'm not doing that. And why am I telling you this today? Okay, let me tell you. Remember that baby that they said to me would never walk, would never play sports? Remember that? If he'll need calf extensions. <laughs> okay. That child went on to excel, surpass every, every, everything he ever set his mind to. Not only did he play sports, he played at the highest level. He played triple A hockey throughout most of his life. Not his life, but I think it's until they're 16 and then they go on to the OHL or wherever they're going to do, or they're done hockey, but he played triple A hockey. You guys, he walked on the football field at university as a, like a tryout, like a, uh, they were doing tryouts. He, he was called a walk-on and he makes the football team. He's playing varsity football at his university and played for five years. They told him that if he wanted to retain his position as a, I think it's a linebacker, I'm so bad with sports, linebacker, that he was gonna to need to gain 80 pounds. And he said, coach, I'll do it. I can do it, coach, I can do it. And guess what? He gained 80 pounds. He put on muscle. He put on the mass that he needed to retain that position. Oh, and did I tell you that while he was in university playing football, he was in the science program studying because he wanted to be a veterinarian and he graduated from university with honors and he went on to write his MCATs. He wanted to be a doctor and he damn well could have been a doctor. And then at the 11th hour, he decides, mm, I don't know if my passion is medicine. I think I want to be a pilot. And guess what he's doing today? Last week, we celebrated him becoming the first captain on an, um, for a major airline. And he's now has his dream job. He became a pilot, you guys, not in five, six, seven, eight years. It's really super expensive. And you need to um, uh, like dock I don't know, a certain amount of hours, like hundreds of hours. Uh, but what I'm trying to get is that he did that in two and a half years and he paid for it himself. He went to university, university, graduated with honors in the science program. So it's like molecular biology and organic chemistry and blah. While he was playing football, and I don't know if you, any of you know or have kids that actually play varsity sports, it's about the sport. They want you dedicating the majority of your time to that sport. And so he had labs and football and traveling to play in other cities. And he still graduated with honors and he wrote his MCATs, decided he wanted to be a pilot. And he realized that dream in under three years. And I can't fucking wait to see him in his pilot's uniform. I am the proudest 
mother ever. He has struggled so much and never once, not once, not once has he complained. Not once has he felt sorry for himself. Never, not once. And I know that as much as I was strong for him, he also does that for me. I know that. And you know why I know that? Because last week I had a friend of his come by. He was this friend of his. Cody was supposed to go away with his older brother on, to Bahamas on this fishing, not fishing, saving the blue. Um, uh, it was an excursion to deal with sharks. And he couldn't go because he got his dream job finally and he couldn't go. But he referred one of his best friends who was capable of, of diving and knowing how to, uh, how to fly a, a drone. And, and he recommended him. And when that friend of his came to my house to pick up some equipment that my older son, Blake, needed to take to the trip, we talked about Cody a little bit and because it's one of Cody's best friends. And he said that Cody was teary-eyed. And when they had a few drinks to celebrate his position as becoming the first officer. And I was a little shocked because I never really thought it affected him that much. That all his struggles, all the surgeries, all the not knowing, all the worrying, all the wondering, all the waiting, all the waiting for results, that it never bothered him. And it did bother him. He just never wanted to worry me. I love that kid. I'm so proud of him. Not only has he surpassed and excelled, he is the sweetest, kindest, most compassionate, most sensitive, loving, loyal, funny kid I have ever met. And he is now living his dream life. He has got the most beautiful, gorgeous girlfriend inside and out. I love her. I love everything about her. He, they have just moved in together. He is starting his dream job. And life is good. It will always be a struggle. Actually, it's kind of funny because just last week, I went to see him in his new home with his girlfriend. And he was supposed to start work. And uh, the aviation, um, the medicine, the medical department for aviation, um, he has kidney stones. And so you can't fly with kidney stones. I did not know that. I did not know that. He did not know that. And we were laughing because it was like, now it's sort of become like, well, of course you have kidney stones. Well, of course you need another fucking surgery. It's just par for the course. And he's like, well, I signed a contract. So I'm in with them now. So he is having surgery next week for the kidney stones. My point to this entire podcast is if you're struggling, you guys, if you're scared, if there's so much unknown, if you're suffering, if your child has whatever, what, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be physical. It could be, I don't know, behavioral, mental, whatever it is, whatever it is. I'm here to say that so many nights I spent worrying, crying myself to sleep. Hindsight is 2020, right? Because look at him now. He is living his best life. He is absolutely, he's gorgeous. Such a good looking kid. He's had so many surgeries, but he has surpassed and he has excelled at everything. It's all about the mindset and it's how you deal with them 
and their whatever it is, their ailment, I don't know of a better word, their, their, their disability, their, their whatever it is. Parents, it's really about how you deal with it. I remember he had multiple surgeries on his that one foot and I would kiss his toes with scars and stitches and whatever. It's what you make of it that they will make of it. It's how you handle it. It's how you express your frustration with whatever it is. And it does somehow, now that he's 30, work itself out. It really, really does. And that's not to say that everything is going to be fine and everything is going to be great. It's life happening. It's how you handle life. And sometimes when you look back, like I look back now, the fights I used to have with my husband or father, just because I was scared and I was afraid and I was worried to death when he was, you know, when I remember coming home from the hospital and, and, uh, and my mother-in-law calling and talking to her son, their dad. And, and I think he said to her, Oh, Emily's fine. Yeah. You know, she's a trooper. She's hanging in there. And I remember him hung up, hanging up the phone and I yelled at him. I'm like, I'm not fucking fine. I'm not fine. I pretend to be fine. And we just would have these crazy fights because I was just so young and scared and worried. And here I am 30 years later and I could not be more proud and happy for this kid. There's always someone out there, you guys, that has it worse. Think about that. Count your blessings. Think about what is good in the situation. Find something, find something, anything, and concentrate on that. Because had I done that, I would have saved myself years of stress and grief and crying and worrying, and I probably wouldn't be 100% gray right now. Cody, I, Cody I, I don't think you listen to Mama's podcasts. If you're listening to this one, I love you so, so, so much. I'm so, 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 so proud of you. I know no one, no one with a better work ethic and more determined than you. That's it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Hang in there, parents. I know it's a struggle. It's not easy, but it's all worth it. Every single bit, the good, the bad. It's going through all the challenges, all the hardships, all the struggles that makes you stronger. Trust me, this I know for sure. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Get Real with Mama Moines and I'll see you next week. Bye.